Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. How are you doing? Rick, it's I'm feeling great. It's it's a good day, and I'm working on getting us a great show, and I can't wait because there's some really interesting information that we've got to present today, Rick. And our first guest who's going to be with us is someone who's been on with us a lot of times before, and yet I always feel like we never quite have her on enough because of the quantity and quality of the information she provides, and that's Heidi Williams, who is the director of the Ingham County Animal Control. And the reason I wanted to have Heidi on the show this week is because I happened to come across a ballot initiative that I saw that was going to be on the ballot next week or a couple of weeks when the primary takes place here in Michigan, and they're going to be asking for a millage. And in that millage, it will generate some very, very interesting opportunities on behalf of all of the people in Ingham County, because what Heidi is looking to do with those funds is basically bring on enough staff to be able to do the job properly with what needs to be done in the area. She's also looking to add services that are available to the public and basically solve a lot of the damage that people do when they treat pets and animals badly and just don't treat them the way they need to be treated. And to find out about it, it's always best if you can find out before the people come to you and tell you about this going on as opposed to after the fact. So it'll be a very interesting conversation with Heidi as she explains exactly what it is that they're asking and what it might cost each of us in order to be able able to get those services done. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Then Rick will shift gears and talk with a very, very, I don't even know what the right word is. It's it's a interesting animal that I just don't think a lot of people have heard about. And the person we're going to talk with, Katie Ramp, who works for Proust Pets, is very involved in the breeding of these animals and their dagoos. And if I went up to 50 people and asked them about dagoos, I got to tell you, Rick, I have a feeling more of them would slap me than anything else. But they're very cute animals and they're wonderful pets and we'll learn all about them, what makes them go, what they like to do, and why you might think about wanting a dagoo for a pet. Then we'll close the show, Rick. We'll make you the guest and we'll talk about the closing end of pond and water garden season and we'll we'll see if it's too late to get that done or if there's still time and what might be the right fish to put in so that's the conversation that we're going to have this week on the mid-michigan pet expert talk show on 1320 
W-I-L-S. It's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 W-I-L-S. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest who's been on really, uh, I feel like, Heidi, we'd never have you on enough because the info you bring us is always tremendous. It's Heidi Williams, who is in charge of the Ingham County Animal Control. And Heidi, how's it going? It's going well. Good. Busy, but well. Well, that's great. Uh, I thought about you this week because I saw a ballot initiative, and I just thought to myself, this is something I need to hear some details on, as I'm sure the audience would like to. So that's why we're calling. So why don't you share with us exactly what it is that's going on with Ingham County Animal Control? Yeah. Definitely. So a um, little kind of history on uh, ballot initiatives for the animal shelter. In 2016, um, the very generous residents of Ingham County voted to uh, support a millage that would build this new facility, a new animal shelter, and also help staff it. That millage expired at the end of 2021, which uh, funded us in 2022. So um, I asked to have another ballot initiative put on that would um, allow us to add a few positions and continue with that operating um, expenses that was covered under the the past millage. So what we're asking for essentially is a 0.20 mil rate, um, which is actually less than what the prior millage was. Um, And for for less money, we're going to expand our services to the community. So it's my intention to hire another veterinarian, another veterinary assistant, and another animal control officer that will act as an investigator position. So first, I'll start with kind of the medical side of it. Um, We only have one veterinarian right now and one vet assistant, and we're killing these poor ladies. Um, They work their tails off for us. They do all of the spay and neuter surgeries, all of the medical examinations, all of the cruelty neglect exams, and we're busy. And um, when one of them isn't here, we really miss them. So hire another vet, another tech. It's really going to help us be able to not only give a little bit of relief um, to our current staff, But also, I'm really excited to announce that if this millage does pass, we will be starting a community TNR program, Trap and Neuter Return Program for Ingham County. Um, It's something that we desperately need. Um, Unwanted cats, community cats, feral cats, however you want to refer to them, are a major problem in our community. And every year, every spring, we all start talking about kitten season. And kitten season just completely overwhelms all of the shelters and rescues, humane societies, And we've got to start doing something about it. And really, the only thing that's been proven proven to work is a TNR program. So we will be starting that. Um, And then for the officer, um, our officers have traditionally been very reactive when when, uh, responding to calls. So basically what that means is we wait for a call to come in, we dispatch an officer out, they investigate it, we take action. Um, With this position, I want this to be an investigator position. Um, we are highly suspicious that there's more going on in our community with dog fighting, cock fighting, animal cruelty neglect, uh, unlicensed kennels, um, perhaps puppy mills where the animals are not being cared for properly. And I really want to dig into this and start investigating this more proactively. Instead of waiting for the community to report it, um, I would have an investigator work with local law enforcement on task forces, and we would really start kind of taking the hurt to some of these people that are that are hurting pets in our community. Wow, that's a, a lot that needs to be done. Now, when it comes to the uh, expense to the taxpayer, do you have any idea about how much it would end up costing them for uh, supporting this program? Yep. 
So uh, at 0. 0.20 mills, the taxes on a home that's valued at $150,000 is uh, $15 a year. Um, they're currently paying almost $18 a year on that same home with the prior millage. So this is actually saving a little bit of money but increasing our services. Kind of interesting how a small amount, obviously, when you go to pay your taxes, anything, you know, anything counts, and any money is real money. But still, it's amazing you just mentioned um, hiring a veterinarian, having an investigator, and there was a third one, and I apologize. Vet tech. A little traction here, but what's that? The vet tech. And, 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 so, and, and yet uh, a homeowner, and I, I would say overall $150,000 home is probably somewhat of an average, but even if it's double that, you're talking $30 a year. Sounds like a pretty reasonable investment as far as um, not much pinch, but a lot of promise. So uh, how has the feedback been in regards to this? I mean, is the general, is there much opposition to it? Is there a lot of uh, force going into it with your supporters uh, pushing it? And where are you at in the campaign to make this work? Yeah, so we're, we're not actively campaigning for this. Um, I, I, I think that our actions speak loud enough for themselves. And if people see this on the millage, um, they're either going to appreciate the work that we're doing and want to continue supporting it, or they're not going to support it and think that it's not important. And that's, you know, certainly their right as a taxpaying citizen. But um, I'm not really hearing a lot of opposition to this. Um, most of what I'm hearing has been overwhelmingly supportive. Um, I think the TNR program, I think that's something that people can really get behind. Anybody that, that loves animals or does any kind of animal rescue or even monitors Facebook pages, they know that this is desperately needed in our community, and we're going to finally do something about it. I'm pretty excited about that if it passes. Yeah, it was the TNR program that I, uh, I apologize, but uh, that that makes uh, a whole lot of sense. And any one of those programs on their own, I know historically you've had the need and have have uh, gotten the public to kind of chip in to try to have uh, an investigator in the past. So to have that happen on top of having a, a veterinarian and an assistant and also having a uh, uh, trap, uh, neuter, and release uh, program, um, I think that's, that's pretty spectacular. Yeah, I think we're going to be able to do a lot with this money. And, um, you know, I do tell people that <clears throat> TNR programs, um, they're definitely the only thing that's going to help with unwanted cats. And there's a ton of unwanted cats. Um, someone gave a statistic once, and I don't know what it was based in, but that if every um, if every person in Ingham County adopted 10 cats, we would still have a cat overpopulation problem. And I think that's probably true. Um and we're going to take a very strategic approach to it. It's going to be a targeted TNR program. So we're going to work with uh, mobile home parks, with apartment complexes, um, with people that are already doing cat rescue and have boots on the ground and have the knowledge that we don't have. And we're going to start picking off some of these areas one by one. Um, the other important thing that uh, I'd like to highlight is that our staff is working really hard to get grant money to cover the supplies and equipment required for a TNR program so that this program will be free to the community. Um, I've never liked the fact that if you want to do something about the community cats in your neighborhood, it's on you to pay for a problem that you didn't create and for animals that you don't own. Um, I just I have a problem with that. Um, so we are going to do everything we possibly can to make this free 
for people that want to participate in it. Yeah, and I, I know that from personal experience. When we get involved in this, there's a lot of effort. And, you know, what do you, uh, some of the things that I always think needs to be worked on or answered is the awkward position that somebody has once they trap it, trying to, this is not a friendly cat. So anybody that thinks they're going to trap a cat and everything's going to be like, um, roses because, oh, isn't that cute? Now I've got him trapped. I just need to take him in. This is a cat that, uh, oh, they throw fits, and they're not too happy about that. So I would imagine there's a lot of trap, neuter, and release programs out there that kind of help mitigate that problem or at least advise and uh, assist in trying to deal with that. Maybe you can comment on that. Yeah, so along with our TNR program, and we're still building this, um, one of our staff members went to the Best Friends Conference in North Carolina this month, and she just totally threw herself into everything TNR. And so she's really kind of the driving force behind building this program for us. And part of that is community education. Um, if we do get people um, that want to help, we want to make sure that they're safe while they're doing this because sometimes, and I'm, I'm not making a, a broad statement, but sometimes these are not the nicest of the animals. They don't want to be in the trap, and they're going to they're gonna make you pay for it. So we want to make sure that, that they're safe and that people understand the reasoning for, you know, the reasoning behind TNR and that it is the only thing that's proven to help this program. Um, now, you know, the question gets brought up a lot of times, well, what if the cat is friendly? Well, um, they may be friendly to you on your uh, porch because you're feeding them, but when they come into the shelter, they are not friendly. They don't want to be here. They're not happy. And the opportunity and chances of them actually having a positive outcome from us are, are very low unfortunately. So our goal in this program is to return them to where they came from. If the cat is happy and healthy and it's living its life, that's where we want it to be. We don't want it to be here. Now, Heidi, when it comes to your other services, like I know that you guys have always been there to give shots and uh, inexpensive services to the public. Is that at all a part of this program as well? Yeah, it definitely is. So the addition of another veterinarian and medical team is my intention to start up weekly vaccination clinics here at the shelter. Um, we've been doing them remotely because of COVID, and it's worked out really well. We've been doing drive-through clinics, and that, that works out pretty well logistically for our staff and for the, for the owners um, and the animals. It's less stress for the dog. They just are getting to go for a car ride. They're happy. Um, but we've been really um, kind of hamstrung with the amount of uh, time we've been able to dedicate to those programs. So it's my intention. We start a weekly um, uh, vaccine clinic for dogs or cats. And then we'll also be able to, because it's here, um, expand the vaccines that we're offering. So we'll offer the distemper parvo, the bordetella, um, the rabies, microchipping services, all of that. Um, we are asking for some grant money again from the Banfield Foundation, which has funded us in the past um, to cover these uh, expenses for the community so that we'll be able to either provide them free or extremely low cost um, it, I would like to note, too, we did have to start um, charging for vaccines this year because we didn't have grant money to cover them, but we're covering essentially um, just a little bit north of what it costs us um, for the vaccine. We did also start requiring dog vaccine clinics. If your dog is unlicensed when you bring them for the rabies vaccine, you have to purchase a dog license at that time. Um, and this is kind of a, a controversial topic but rabies is a public safety threat. It's a, it's a public health threat. And, um, you know, licensing is the law, and we can't allow people to um, knowingly uh, commit a misdemeanor in our present, presence by not getting their dog um, licensed and, and vaccinated. So we've gotten a little harder on that, but we're also seeing 
some concerning stuff in the community as far as there's a lot of dogs running it loose. We're seeing a lot of dog bites and not just little nips. We're seeing some pretty significant dog bites. So in order to protect the community, um, we're cracking down on dog licensing and rabies vaccinations. Well, and the public should understand because, for example, if you want to take your dog to a public dog park, you should not be allowed in if you don't have both of those things. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, I completely agree. Unfortunately, we don't really have any kind of um, authority to to regulate those. Um, we do for the Fulton's Dog Park because it's a county-owned facility. But um, like I know the East Lansing Dog Park, I don't believe. I think that's just a come as you are, and anybody can come, and there's there's no kind of oversight of that. So, um, you know, I would just make sure that people are aware that there could be unvaccinated dogs um, in dog parks. I'm not a big dog park fan personally. I think a lot of bad things can happen at those when when owners are not educated. But um, I understand the purpose behind them, but I'm not a big fan. Well, it's it's an issue for me because I'll be the first to say uh, I was going to a dog park with my dog. And after listening to the stories from several of the people there who said that they were pretty much ready to stop going there because there was one person who kept showing up with an unvaccinated dog. And lo and behold, when that dog gets sick and passes it on to every other dog in the park, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, it is. Um, And there's a lot of dogs being brought into our state um, from southern states that have distemper. Um, we're seeing adult parvo. We've seen several cases of adult parvo. Very concerning. Um, so yeah, there's, you know, it's very important to get your dog vaccinated. Now, Heidi, when it comes to this whole thing, when is the, uh, vote going to take place for this? Is this during the primary or is this during the actual election period? I mean, how does that work? So this is August 2nd. It'll be on the ballot and a lot of, um, uh, absentee ballots have already gone out. But yes, August 2nd is when this will be decided. Okay. So for people who aren't accustomed to voting in a primary and thinking, oh, I don't need to go, uh, I already know who's going to be on the ballot. So uh, this is a reason why, yes, you do need to go, correct? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to support this initiative, we we strongly encourage people to go vote. or if you don't want to support it. I mean, it's, it's your opportunity to um, to weigh in on this. It, it sounds like a very interesting thing. Now, when it comes to everything else going on down there, uh, what's happening at Ingham County that's keeping you guys so busy? Is there anything specifically that people should be aware of? We are experiencing an overwhelming amount of people wanting to surrender animals. Um, we're also experiencing a tremendous high numbers of stray animals um, that officers are picking up, stray dogs. People aren't coming to claim them, even if they have a microchip and we know the owner. Owners are not showing up to pick them up. Um, People are surrendering them for various reasons. Uh, A lot of it is financial-based and uh, housing-based. You know, maybe they have been evicted from their current uh, place of residence and their new residence won't allow them to have animals, so they need to surrender or they can't feed them. So it's it's pretty concerning, the economy right now and its effect on people. so I'm, I'm hoping that that kind of um, slows down a little bit, but I'm concerned that this is going to be a pretty rough year. Um, we're also seeing a, a, a lot of dogs. Um, I, my, my anecdotal evidence is that it's from the pandemic when people uh, all hurried out and got dogs and then they were under-socialized, seeing a lot of behavioral issues. Like I said earlier, a lot of really bad dog bites. Um, 
So it's this is going to be kind of a rough year for animal welfare in general. I know almost all of the rescues, um, humane societies, us, everybody is just busting at the scene with animals right now. So we've actually had to institute a um, owner surrender waiting list for dogs and cats because we just don't have the space to take animals. So um, people get put on a list, and when we have kennels available, we'll call them and tell them we can take their animals. But we're also providing resources um, where the owners can try to rehome the, the animal on their own. Well, I'm um, trying to provide them guidance and assistance in that. Well, if there's anyone who can handle it, it's you. Heidi, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure. And, and Rick, after the break, we'll continue the conversation with Katie Ramp right here on 1320 WILS. Welcome back to the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 9.35, and we're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. It's Katie Ramp, who is going to talk with us today all about Daegu's. And, Katie, to begin with, can you explain to our listeners what the heck is a Daegu? And why is it that so many people don't know of their existence? Yeah, so they tend to be kind of a, a harder to find, a little bit more exotic of a pet in the small animal um, industry. Um, but they're really closely related to chinchillas. That's one of their closest relatives. Um, but care-wise and kind of look-wise, it's kind of like having a big gerbil. Um, but they're full of personality um, and super sweet and really fun. So, <laughs> And when it comes to their lifestyle, tell me, what is it like? Are they typically active during the day, during the night? Uh, I mean, what what kind of things do they do that would make you see one and say, that's not a gerbil, that's a daegu? Yeah, so they're daytime active. Um, usually most of the time earlier in the morning and like later in the evenings rather than like midday. Um, but like we have one right now that was actually just running on his wheel. Um, so they can be active all times of the day, um, which is great for families with kids. Um, you don't necessarily, you can't only interact with them in the afternoons and at night. Um, they'll be happy to interact during the daytime too. Um, but they're really strong chewers and great climbers. Um, so we love to do big pieces of driftwood in with them in their cages and stuff. Um, just to give them some stuff to chew on and climb all over, um, which is super fun for them. Go ahead and um, comment a little bit about, you know, they tend to be from personal experience and, and watching how customers come back and talk about them as well. They seem to be kind of on, on kind of a, I would say, one of the more recommended small animals because they are very interactive with the owner. They are very curious. And I just would want them to have a general feeling of what they would expect as far as a relationship with one of these guys. Um, 
maybe for somebody that's been familiar with hamsters and gerbils and such, what kind of relationship can you expect? And probably the other thing to mention, maybe because he is a little, she is a little smarter than the, the rest and a little more interactive, maybe some more responsibility yeah. associated with them. How, how, how do you uh, share with customers and, uh, and help them understand what they're getting into? Yeah, so um, something that I, I do really like about them is they um, tend to really form a bond once they get to know somebody. They, they tend to get really bonded and, and get super trustworthy of them. Um, like I've, I've seen it with some of our own um, reader day that we have upstairs, um, that they'll get super comfortable and, and um, happy to see um, people who are up there all the time and then when we get like a newer employee comes in to take care of them, um, they're a little bit more reserved. Um, but I think it's really cool to be able to like watch that bond happen with them um, and that they can get so attached to their people is really great too. What, what about the uh, size of an environment? Uh, are they talking about half a room? Are they talking a small, you know, uh, wire cage? You know, what would what would they be looking at in their room if they wanted to have one of these fun interactive pets? Yeah, so I, with them, I always tend to recommend um, fully metal cages um, without much plastic in there because they tend to just kind of chew right through plastic stuff. Um, but all metal keeps them nice and safe and secure. Um, but I really like um, the style of cage that it's called a critter nation, but it tends to be um, all metal and has multiple levels, um, so they can go up and down. Um, doesn't take up too much like floor space, which is nice too. Um, just kind of some vertical height. <laughs> now, when yeah, it comes, right. to, well, they love to use that, don't they? Yeah. Now, when it comes to feeding them, what kind of food do they eat? Um, so they have a pelleted diet that we have here. Um, we have a mix that was um, set up specifically for them. Um, but with Jagu's, like chinchillas, they are really prone to diabetes. Um, so you kind of want to watch out for all of the sugary treats for them um, and not do too much, um, not really giving them fruit um, or veggies that are super high in natural sugars like carrots. Um, but we still give them like leafy greens and stuff. Um, they also eat hay. So having that, um, roughage is really important for them too. Interesting. Now when it... and they are one of these guys that, um, if you're, uh, let's say a 11 year old boy or girl, um, you can carry them around the house and, and, and have them as an interactive pet that way. I know sometimes like gerbils, they, if you don't have them just directly over the cage, sometimes they can get a little bit jumpy. But yeah. from what I've witnessed, you can actually have them where you're actually carrying them around, yes? Would, would you say that's true? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and we have, like, little bonding pouches and stuff, too, that I know a lot of people love to have with them. Um, that It makes them feel a little bit more safe, especially while they're just, Still getting used to people, but yeah, I've, I've had people tell me about how their diggers just kind of sit on their shoulder and hang out with them all the time, which is great. 
Katie, is there any? Yet, co- I'm sorry. Ahead. I'm sorry, Rick. Uh, Katie, is there right. any kind of an age that is appropriate <laughs> for a Daegu? I mean, uh, are these things that young kids can get involved with, or more teenagers? I mean, help me understand. Who are they perfect for as a pet? Yeah, so I think they can really be great for anybody. Um, as far as like young kids, it's definitely one that, um, I recommend the parents be a little bit more involved with, um, just cause they're, they're an animal that can get scared pretty easily, um, and be a little bit fast and flighty if they do get too scared. Um, so having an adult kind of with them and watching over them, helping the bonding process and all that, um, is great, but. Um, I've even had, like, um, teenagers come in um, and get them just as, like, kind of more starter pets that they have um, fully on their own, which is great. I can remember a time when we had a, you know, a, a one that needed to be orphaned, and my daughter took a hold of it, and she certainly was, you know, was in her late 20s, and, and uh, the, um, uh, it was, pretty spectacular the kind of relationship she had with that it was it was a, it was a pair bonding that uh one can only write about and um i just think that somebody that's out there that's kind of searching for a fun little pet maybe one that you want to have kind of caged up when you're not around and yet at the same time something that you can walk around the house and really engage with uh might very well be um kind of a a perfect choice. Yeah, they're super social. Um, they're super social and are used to living in pairs or groups. So um, especially bringing them into a home and in a family situation, um, they can get really attached to everybody. Does that include other animals, Katie? Um, generally, we just kind of recommend to keep them away from um, larger animals that could be predators, um, like dogs and cats, but, um, definitely can be in the same room and stuff, um, with an close eye watched on them to, um, just kind of one of those things to watch out for and kind of play by ear. <laughs> gotcha. That's definitely the case, whether it's, a you know, a parakeet, a cockatiel, or a daegu, or a chinchilla, you know, if you have a dog that cat at home, and we have birds, but it took a while to have confidence that there was going to be caused. You really need to chaperone that in the, in the most assertive way it's perfectly safe to have these two animals around each other. For every internet uh, engagement that you have cross-species, there's probably another video that's not being shared that, that uh, would show the otherwise. So you always really want to be careful when you're dealing with a small animal like that because they're going to mimic something that they would see outside, whether it's a squirrel or otherwise. So, um, um, yeah, so I'm just wondering, um, um, you know, I just don't want people to think that, that they can't interact them with their animals, but, boy, it sure needs to be a chaperone affair. Yeah. Well, Katie, uh, we're about out of time, but if people want to come in and see a Daegu and know what they are, I assume you've got some in the store? 
Oh, yeah. We've got lots of them right now looking for homes. <laughs> oh, okay. Then hopefully they'll come in and take a look. We've been speaking with Katie Ramp. And, Katie, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Oh, have a, have a great one. And, Rick, we'll take a break and be back right here on 1320 WILS. Hey, got some ideas for a show? Questions? Maybe suggestions? Just email us, mmpets at 1320wils.com. Welcome back to the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Rick, I just would like to talk in this last segment about another area of your business that I know has been very busy, but we're getting later in the season. It's Pond and Water Garden. Uh, how are things going there? Well, it's, it's another strong year. It's uh, uh, it's that time of year. Um, it's starting to slow down a little bit, but we still have lots of fish that want to find homes in ponds that are out in the neighborhood. And um, the, the, the right now, water gardens are in full bloom. Gorgeous. I mean, if you come in and take a look at ours, we have water lilies blooming. We have water hyacinths flowering. We've got plants that uh, are um, substantially larger than when we bought them. Uh, kind of uh, just growing like crazy, uh, and that's and that's part of the beauty of having a water garden is to just see the the the, the part of the garden part of it can be really really rewarding. You know, you oh, get a absolutely. few months, you get three or four months uh, of beauty, but for that three or four months, it's uh, incredible. And there's nothing better than to be able to walk up to your pond and have these fish that recognize you, beg for food, hope <laughs> that you're going to give them some. <laughs> and um, kind of talk to you whenever you need it. Now, when it comes to these fish, are they always, do they have to be as big as the ones that you guys have got in the, in the river? Or are people buying the smaller goldfish and just enjoying them? I mean, what are, what are people interested in? Because sometimes they see those huge fish you've got, and I wonder, boy, is it might be bigger than the children <laughs> who are out no, there. No, yeah, and we do have a koi are one of the most popular of water garden fish or outdoor pond fish, um, but also not necessarily the most appropriate for many situations. I and mean, if your pond's less than a thousand gallons, I'm just suggesting that you not even consider them because they do get so large. And uh, they do have, and any time you get a large fish too, you know, that's more waste, that's more debris, so we need a more ambitious system to handle them. I can tell you that much of my day is spent walking outside and spending as many minutes as I can, maybe engaging with customers and such, but just absolutely mesmerized. And I might look at it 40 times in a week. But every time I look at that water garden, those koi are just spectacular. You just look at them. They look at you. You're connected. They love to eat, but they, they just, they're so majestic in how they swim around the, the, the pond. So if you do have a pond that's large enough, you know, we have a beautiful selection of those. Right. Now, goldfish might sound a little more boring, right? But trust me, they are not. You know, they are just going to be a smaller fish, um, and they 
can be rather fancy. Yes, there is the boring goldfish that you know you might see that's uh, maybe a feeder fish that's gotten bigger. Nothing spectacular about their fins. They're short. Nothing spectacular about their color. They're just straight orange, which isn't necessarily that bad when you have several of them in just to watch them interact. But we have what are referred to as shabunkins. We have some that are referred to as sarasas. And both of those have spectacular colors that when you walk by and look at, it's like rather substantially uh, impressive, similar to a koi. You know, the the, the sarasa is this uh, um, orange and white, so it's a lot of white color. Uh, the, the shabunkin is kind of like a calico variety, but they also typically will have long fins as well. So long draping fins. I can't tell you how many times that people will point to that koi in the uh, big uh, pond that we have here that they want to buy, and it's like, I really want that one. And I'm like, well, that's a goldfish. Right. Uh, so so goldfish can be pretty spectacular, and they tend to be better, you know, for a 300-gallon pond up to a 1,000-gallon pond. Uh, we can talk about the appropriateness in a 100-gallon pond. It's not that you couldn't have goldfish in there. You're probably going to be keeping them indoors for sure for the winter. But you can have something that's even relatively small and have a goldfish or two in there. Well, let me ask you a stupid question, not that I haven't done that before. But how long do pondfish typically live? Sure. You know, I would say that um, prepping winters, or bringing them indoors, uh, if we if we properly prep for winter, and or we bring them indoors, lifespan extends substantially. Many of these koi, uh, the ones that are inside in the river here, and um, and customers even with them outdoors, uh, they can live 30, 40, 50 years, even longer, right? Um, but what can commonly happen is they can be thinned out by uh, not properly adjusting for winter. And so I would just strongly advise come in and talk to us. We always have the necessary equipment to make that work. Right. Um, and um, the other problem would be that if the pond isn't deep enough. And so no matter what you do for equipment, you can't really make it so that they're guaranteed to survive for the winter. Um, imagine when you freeze a pond over, it's completely rubber sealed right up to the rubber. And if the ice is complete and the gases that are created because you don't have an opening, they'll, they'll, they'll accumulate gases underwater to the point where fish will die. So you want to make sure it stays open, uh, and prep for winter. Beyond that, the only other real issue since these fish do live, goldfish might be, certainly you can have a 20-year-old goldfish. Right. And certainly you can have a 50-year-old koi. But the other primary loss of fish, if you're doing everything else correct, is predators. So uh, we always want to think about what we can do to reduce the likelihood of predators taking our fish away or harming them in some way. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen that one right up close because I see... Uh, the birds on my lawn, and uh, they yeah. constantly are in there. Plus, you'll see swans uh, just doing that, their butt up in the air and their neck underwater, and they're on well, a field what, what you're What you're really looking at, for the most part, one species does it all, and that's the blue heron. 
uh, yeah. uh, magical species. When you look at them, they are just so breathtaking. But unlike any of the other fowl, uh, waterfowl, they travel uh, substantially and consume greatly whenever given the opportunity. So you really want to, you know, we can we can talk. I don't have enough time on today's show to give you all the different techniques that you can use to reduce it. Um, knowing their migratory pattern and having a net across the pond during those period of times is your your safest bet. But there are other techniques that you can use to kind of help ward against that. And then in the midst of the winter, uh, biggest problem if you live out in the country would be the possibility of a mink um, kind of getting in there and causing problems. Gotcha. But shorter predators, and people will have pondfish, koi, um, that, that they that they have to worry about uh, sharing with their, their children or their grandchildren because they've lived that long. Well, Rick, it might be too late for people to necessarily put a pond in this summer because there's not that much time, or is there enough time? And if not, uh, should they start planning for next year? Is that something that is commonplace? Well, it's not unusual. You know, there's two sessions. One, I really want to get my pond going. I want to look spectacular. And certainly having a pond going into the spring is a great idea. Uh, what would be nice this time of year is putting in a pond. Uh, the ground's still easy to work with. Um, we're not as busy as we would at giving advice, and we have lots of equipment to offer um, and lots of advice. And, you know, if somebody wants to say, you know, I want this as a spring project, great. Let's talk about it now. Right. If somebody wants to do it as a fall project, you know, as long as you're, you're, the, the, the ground hasn't frozen and you want to do yard work, Maybe it would be a perfect time to do those type of things. But the one thing I will ask is is that they just if you just come in ahead and you know share some time with us, um, I would be a good person to talk to. But we have a couple others. But I'd probably be the best one to talk to if you're thinking of setting up a pond, because I could give you some advice and I'd either lean you in the direction of here's the best way to do it yourself, or I could always tilt you to the direction of saying, hey, you know this is great. You have great ideas. Let's get a professional involved. Right. Well, Rick, we are out of time for this week's show, but we'll continue the conversation next week. This is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend, great weekend. Talk next weekend on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. In this sturdy old part of the city.